Alright, well let's go ahead and get started. We're going to be in Exodus 21 basically all day today. <clears throat> well, at least for the entire Sunday School series. <clears throat> Exodus 21, we'll be starting in verse number 7. We're going to look at, hopefully, we will be looking at two of the laws in the Old Testament, just continuing our series on using the law lawfully. Looking at Old Testament law and determining if and how it applies to us as Gentiles. And Brother Parsons ended the lesson last week with a question about Exodus 21.7. And I told him we were going to get to it this week. And so here we go. Launching the Exodus 21. Let's read verses 7 through 11. And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. If she please not her master, who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation, he shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And if he hath betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three unto her, then shall she go out free without money. Okay, so it's an interesting passage. Uh, it's, there's a lot of confusion out there about this passage. Uh, a lot of people read into it things that are not there. Uh, but if you just take it face value based on the area of context that it's in in this passage of Exodus 21, uh, it, it makes a little more sense, and then especially when you compare it to other passages of Scripture, it starts to make a lot more sense. But uh, we're just going to go through it quickly, and uh, I'll give you what, what I think this is saying, and uh, we'll go from there. So first thing I see, we're looking at these verses, 7 through 11, mainly starting at verse number 7. Uh, we see that the daughters of Jewish men could only be sold as maidservants if the end goal was marriage. And the marriage was either to her master or to one of his sons. Now, when we look at a daughter being sold, we think, oh, that's awful. That's barbaric. But this is talking about uh, a man who is in, in debt, and he's been condemned by the judges to work off his debt. Uh, he can work off the debt himself. If there's more than he can work off himself, his wife and his children can also go to work off the debt uh, rather than sitting in prison or you know something like that. It would be kind of like garnishing your wages would be the, the idea or the parallel uh, to modern day society. Uh, but what they would do is they would sell themselves under a master in order to be that man's servant uh, and that all the wages from that they would earn from working for that man would go toward paying off the debt that the, the uh, father owed. Okay, so you could do that. You have the man that goes... Uh, sells himself into servitude in order to pay off the debt. His son could, could also be sold into servitude to pay off the debt. Let's say the man is older, he's not able to work, but his son is nice and healthy and young, and so the son goes in and does the work instead of the father and pays off the, the family debt. They were not allowed to do that with the daughters. The father could not say, okay, I'm old, but I've got this beautiful daughter and she's a hard worker. I'm going to send her to be a maid for... Uh, this other man's wife, and she's going to pay off our family debt. That was not allowed. 
the only way that the daughters could be sold into servitude and to be a maid was if the end result was going to be marriage to the, the family into the family that she was sold to. So if she was sold to uh, a man, the man could say, I want to purchase your daughter to pay your debts and have your daughter as my wife. Or you could say, I'll pay off your debts if you let me have your daughter as the wife for my son. Now, the father had to agree to it. It couldn't just be, you know, hey, I'm going to pay off your debt and take your daughter. You know, but the, the father could agree to it and have his debts paid off by his daughter uh, having an arranged marriage with a particular man or the man's son. And it, it seems very strange to us because that's not the customs that we have regarding marriage. But back then, marriage, and in that culture, marriage was handled differently. You had the, the dowry, so it was a standard practice for the husband or the husband's father to pay a dowry to the girl's father. And so this is nothing more than just an arrangement for a dowry to be paid. Uh, but it's in the case of a man who has debts and that dowry is going to pay off his debts. Okay, now there's several things that we can see in this passage that make it to where instead of being barbaric and looking barbaric, it actually can look as if God is very protective of the girls in this case. First of all, he's very protective of them in that he does not allow them uh, to be just sold into slavery and sold into servitude. They can only go and work for a man and in a man's house if the goal was to be married to that man. That was the understood uh, intention there was for her to be married to that man. And then there was a betrothal period where she would stay in the house uh, and work for him in that house with the idea that at the end of this betrothal period, she's going to become his wife. Now, during that betrothal period is where we get into verse number 8. If she did not please him during that betrothal period, if he looked at her and said, you know what, I really made a mistake. I should not be marrying this woman. I should not have, or he could say, I should not have betrothed this girl to my son because she's got a terrible attitude. She's a terrible person. We want to just break off the engagement. Okay. If he did that, if the engagement could be broken and the girl was allowed to be redeemed back by her father or by an uncle or you know whoever could redeem and pay the, the debt that was supposed to be paid back to the man that had paid it for the first man who was in debt. So, so the master could allow her to be redeemed. If he did this, however, look at the end of verse number 8 seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And so it's it's a public shame on him if he broke off the engagement after this point. Because he should have investigated her character long before ever coming to her dad and saying, you know, I'd, I'll pay your debts if you'll let your daughter marry me or marry one of my sons. He should have known what her character was like before then. And so by giving that promise, saying, I'll, I'll allow her to marry you know, myself or marry one of my sons, uh, and then to break that promise after, that's deceit on his part, and uh, he should not have done that. It's a, it's a matter of shame against him. <clears throat> but he could break off the engagement if something was wrong that, that he didn't like. Uh, however, he's not allowed to sell her to any foreigners and say, okay, I'm going to break off the engagement, but uh, this foreign man over here, he's willing to pay the dowry I'll let you marry him over there. Uh, could, what That was not allowed because as part of the agreement for him paying off the, her father's debt, 
part of that agreement was that he was going to give her a marriage into a Jewish family. And so she would then have uh, heritage in Israel, uh, that inheritance that's passed from father to son in Israel, she would now have, be able to take part in that. Um, her children would be able to take part in that her inheritance from Israel. Uh, she would have the, all the protections of Jewish law as all part of the promise to the father. And so the master could not break off the engagement, sell her to a foreigner where she no longer had any of those promises made to her. And so he was not allowed to do that. He had to either go through the marriage or allow her to be married to another Jew uh, who would redeem her uh, to himself. Okay, and then the important part, verse number 9, <clears throat> tells us that in all cases, whether they went through with the marriage or they broke off the engagement and did not go through with the marriage, in all cases, the girl was to be treated as if she was a wife or a daughter and never as a servant. And we can see that verses 9 through 11, if, if he hath betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. So he's not to treat her like she's a servant. He's to treat her like she's one of his daughters. She's to have the freedom of the house. Now, daughters you know, still had responsibilities, so she may still have some responsibilities to do. But he's not to treat her as if she's just a servant. Uh, and then in verse number 10, if, he's, if he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. Now, that's not talking about polygamy. This is in the context of uh, she's not pleased him. He's decided to break off the, the betrothal or break off the engagement. And in the process of that, he's found another wife that's pleased him more. And so he's going to marry this other woman. In that trans, uh, transfer, that, that transition period where he's going from the engagement to this woman and now he's engaged to this woman and marrying her, he's not allowed to mistreat the woman that he broke off the engagement with. He's still to treat her as if she's a wife. He's to provide her food. He's to provide her clothing. And then it says, her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. A lot of people look at that as in her duty to him. He's supposed to you know, hold the whip over her and not allow her to, to slack off on her duties as a wife to him uh, during this time period. That's not the way it is in context. It's he provides her food. He provides her raiment. He provides her duty of marriage. So it's the duty he owes to her as a husband. So he has to protect and provide for her uh, like he's supposed to, just as if he were going through the marriage and the, or through with the marriage. So he's not allowed to diminish that in any way. If he does not do these three unto her, what are the three? Providing her food, providing her raiment, and providing her duty of marriage. So if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't continue to treat her as a wife, then she shall go out free without money. That's she shall go out free without being redeemed back. She doesn't have to wait on her family member to pay back the, the dowry that was paid initially in order for her to be free from this man. If this man isn't treating her right, she goes out free anyway, and he just misses out on all the dowry that, that he paid for her in order to get her in the first place. So it's, it's very protective. Uh, the, the, here, the phrase here is she should go out free without money. Uh, a lot of people think that that's talking about him giving her money. But if you compare it to verse number two, it's the same thing as a Hebrew servant. At the end of uh, the six years that he shall serve, and in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. It's not saying he'll go out free without any pay, because we saw in another passage at the end of that seven years, 
the master is supposed to give gifts to the, the Hebrew servant when he leaves. Uh, so it's not saying he shall go out free and he's not to receive any gifts. It's saying he shall go out free without owing anything at the end of his time of service. It's the same wording that's used at the end of verse number 11, just translated free without money instead of free for nothing. And it's the same phraseology. She's going to go out free uh, without having to owe anything, without having to, to pay back any type of redemption or dowry uh, to her master. So that's what the passage is talking about. It's not this uh, barbaric idea of buying a wife and making her, or buying a, a female servant and then you know, deciding to make her a wife if you want to, and if you decide not to, you know, she still has to do all the work that you hired her to do initially. It's not that type of a, of a barbaric approach to this. It's much more caring and loving uh, of God toward the women in Israel, protecting them, making sure that they could not be sold as slaves. They could not uh, be taken into a man's house to work for him unless he was buying her to be his wife. And then he had to treat her either as a daughter if he was going to give her to his son, or he had to treat her as a wife. And he had all the duties that he owed to her as a wife to provide for her, to love, for, love her and care for her. He had to fulfill those duties or else she was allowed to go free. And so that's what, what we see here. Now, as a New Testament application, there is no direct application of this to Gentile believers. Uh, but it does reveal to us how much God values women. Uh, he required women who were sold to pay off debts to be treated as well as a man would treat a wife or a daughter. Uh, he required marriage to be the end goal. And uh, he never allowed women to be treated as the property of Jewish men. This is one of those passages that people point to and say, see, the Jews treated women as property and they were nothing but cattle. Uh, that's not the way it was. This is very strict. The women were treated better than the men. There's no requirement for a man to treat a manservant as if he's a son. That's, that's never required anywhere. But it, he is required to treat his maidservants as if they were daughters uh, and so there's, or as if they were wives. Uh, and so there's a much higher requirement there uh, for treating the women well than there was for treating the men well, showing that God valued women very highly and demanded respect uh, from men toward women, demanded that they be treated well. All right, any comments or questions on that one? All right, we're going to go a little bit further down in Exodus 21, down to verse number 18. <clears throat> We'll look at personal injury law now. <clears throat> it's an area of law we should be very familiar with. That's the area of law that Alexander Shunara practices. <laughs> we see his signs everywhere. <clears throat> Although, you know, he, I don't think he himself actually practices law anymore. I think all he does now is farm it out, out to everyone else. And he's just a uh, middleman. All right, but anyway, we're going to look at the personal injury law in the Old Testament, starting with Exodus 21, verses 18 and 19. If men strive together, and one smite another with a stone, or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit, only he shall pay for the loss of his time, and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. Okay, so... A lot packed in here, and then it's all unpacked in the next uh, several verses there. But let's look at it 
uh, first thing that we're going to look at is we're going to go back up to verse number 12. This lesson is not about the law for murder, but it's understood in this passage that there's already been a law laid down that the murderer is to be put to death. And we already looked at that in the past, but look in verse number 12. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. So that's the understood groundwork that the rest of this personal injury law is built on. So now you've, you've got this. If you smite a man and he dies, then you're going to be put to death. What happens if the man does not die? But you've still smitten him. You've still hit him and caused damage, but he didn't die. So now what do you do? Well, that's verse number 18. One smite another with a stone or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed. So you've put him in bed but he's not dead. So what do you do here? Okay, if you rise again and walk abroad on his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. That means you're not going to be put to death because he's not dead. He's, sur he's survived. He has recovered from his, <clears throat> his injuries. And so you no longer have to forfeit your life for his life. However, we do see in verses 18 and 19 that if a man caused physical injury to another man, he was required to pay for the medical bills and for the other man's loss of time. That's what we see at the end of verse number 19. He shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. So the man that caused the damage, he's the one that has to pay the doctor bills to get the man thoroughly healed. And then if, if he's lost time from work, he has to pay for all that lost time, uh, all the lost profit that the man lost while being in bed with those injuries. Now, irreparable injury was to be paid differently. This is injuries that can be recovered from, can be healed. Uh, those are the injuries that he pays the medical bills for. But in Leviticus 24, in verse 19, we see about irreparable injuries that cannot be healed, such as the loss of a hand or the loss of an eye, uh, something like that. So let's go to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus 24, verses 19 and 20. And if a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he hath done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. So when you take these two passages together, Exodus 21, 18 and 19, excuse me, in Leviticus 24, 19 and 20, we see that you have two different classes of harm that are causing this, these bodily injury cases. First is harm that can be recovered from, so you know, a cut or something like that that can heal and uh, be repaired and, and the man can be made whole. And then you have harm that cannot be made whole, those are irreparable injuries such as the loss of an eye or the loss of a hand. In the first case, if the injury is something that can be made whole but man has to spend some time in bed, he loses time, has to pay the doctors, then the man who caused the harm just has to pay for all the time and all the medical bills. If it's irreparable injury, something that cannot be healed or repaired, then the man has that same harm done to him. So if he's put out <coughs> one man's eye, the punishment is that his eyes be put out. Cut off a man's hand, the punishment is that his hand is to be cut off. Uh, knock out a man's tooth, punishment is that one of his teeth is to be knocked out. Uh, and so that's that's the, the difference there between those two. If it's uh, recoverable, 
then he only has to pay money. If it's not recoverable, can't be repaired, then he has to suffer the same injury. And in both yes. cases, if it's in the intent to kill him, but he doesn't kill him, right? Well, it, this is not necessarily with intent here. This is just looking at the fact. Okay. Um, now, you have, you have uh, accidents. Right. Now, uh, that was, that was the, what I was trying to make, because when we talked about Exodus uh, 2118, it was, as I understood it, up in verse 12, it mentioned that if he intended to kill him, but he doesn't kill him. Right. And so that's what I was, when, when you brought up Leviticus 24, I'm in the premise that he, this is a situation where he intends to kill him, and if something happens to him that can't be recovered, Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's not mentioned uh, too much in this passage, yeah, but right. it is in other passages right. where you have a, a criminal intent is required. And it's not necessarily intent to kill, but intent to cause harm right. uh, is a requirement. And uh, there are provisions made for accidents mm -hmm. uh, where you still have to, yeah. to yeah. cover the cost and stuff, but there are provisions made in the law for accidents. Accidents. As opposed to all right, and so, so here we see the, the difference there between the physical injury that is permanent and physical injury that is temporary. All right, but now what do you do if the man that's harmed was the servant of the man that caused the injury? And that's answered in Exodus 21, verses 20 through 21. If a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod and he die under his hand, he shall surely be punished. That's a reference back up to verse number 12 kill a man, you got to be put to death. So if he dies under his hand, he's going to be punished for the, with, with what's already mentioned in verse 12. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. Okay, so we have two different punishments. If the man dies, the punishment is death. If the man does not die, what was the punishment? The punishment was you pay his medical bills and you pay for his loss of time. Well, if he's your servant, you're already paying for all of his medical bills. You're already responsible to provide for his health and, and the doctor to take care of him. He doesn't pay that on his own because he's your servant. You take care of it as a master. So you've already done that. Also, his loss of time is your loss of money because he's your servant. So it's not his loss of money. You're, you know, he's, it's not paying wages. He's not a man that's, that's a hired hand. He's a servant. Uh, so he doesn't get paid wages. He is pay, his pay is in his debt is paid off because you're, you paid off his debt in order to hire him as a servant. Uh, and then you're providing for his housing and lodging and all that, which you're still providing even after he's been harmed. So there's no point in uh, telling the master he has to pay because paying for loss of time would make no sense. This, that's what is meant by the phrase at the end, uh, he shall not be punished for he is his money. Meaning, you're already paying for all this on your own. There's no reason to pay again uh, for it. So it's not saying the master can just punish the servant and suffer no harm. It's saying the master, if he's, uh, if he's hurt his servant, he's already paying because he's already losing his own time and already having to pay all these medical bills. So he doesn't have to pay a second time uh, just because the man happens to be his servant. All right, and then there's a lot of people that look at verse number 20 and say, oh, it just says he shall be punished if he kills uh, his servant. It, it, so it's just a light punishment that he gets. So, you, know, you have to keep it in context. The punishment is already mentioned in verse number 12. The punishment is death. Even if he kills his servant, uh, the punishment is death. 
All right, and then what if he's caused irreparable damage uh, to his servant, irreparable physical injury? Remember, there's those two classes of personal injury. Well, that's talked about in verses 26 and verse 27. And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. Okay, now there's no indication here that the master is freed from also having the uh, to receive the same kind of injury that he caused, like is mentioned in Leviticus 24. Uh, there's no mention of that. So in my interpretation, I would think the master is still, if he causes his servant to lose a tooth, he still has to pay by losing one of his own teeth. Uh, if he cuts off his servant's hand, he still has to pay by having one of his hands cut off. But in addition to that, since he has mistreated his servant with an irreparable injury, his servant gets to go free uh, and is no longer bound to that master. Which fits other things that we'll look at about uh, slavery, which is what we're going to look at uh, next week. Uh, but just a, a hint that all servitude in the Bible was voluntary. At any time, any servant could run away and he was not allowed to be returned to his master. So you could not force the servant to return to a master, his master once he ran away because it was assumed. If he ran away, it was for a good reason because that master was not treating him right. And so mistreatment of a servant resulted in the loss of that servant. That servant could leave and uh, go serve someone else or be free entirely. Uh, and that's what it's talking about here. If he causes uh, irreparable injury to the servant, that servant is free to go. Whether he has the power to leave or not, because in this case, I mean, maybe he's, he's lost a leg and he has no power to get up and leave. Uh, the master is required to send him out, not just to allow him to, to leave on his own power. But he is he's automatically made free under that type of situation. Okay, so that's the, the physical injury law for just two men who are free men fighting together. Then you have the physical injury law for a man against his servant. And then there's one more that we skipped over. Uh, That's in verse number 22, and this is physical injury law in regards to a pregnant woman and a prenatal child. And we see here that, well, let's, let's read it. If men strive and hurt a woman with a child so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow... Then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Okay, so this is a passage that there's a lot of uh, misinformation about out there on the internet. A lot of people saying that this is God telling people that uh, prenatal children are not nearly as valuable as born children. Uh, and that's not what it's talking about here at all. And I'm not going to take the time to go through all their arguments and point out the, the errors in all their arguments. But we'll just look at what this actually does say. Uh, the first thing we see in verse number 22 is that if a man hurts a pregnant woman and causes her to go into labor and give birth early. That's what it's talking about here. The, the, uh, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her. So that's, she gives birth. Also men died. Nope, it's not talking about, about death. It's not talking about her death or the death of the, the child. It's talking about the fruit of her womb, which is how the Bible often refers to, to children. So the fruit of the womb has now come out. 
So she's gone into labor and given birth. Uh, and that's what it's talking about. So if that happens, she goes into labor, she gives birth, then the man that caused the harm and caused her to, to go into early labor and, and give birth, he has to pay whatever the husband and the judge determine that he should pay. And so it's not the same thing as before where if you strive with a man, you hurt the man, you have to pay his medical bills and pay for the loss of time. Uh, in this case, with a pregnant woman, there's a lot more to consider than just medical bills and loss of time. Uh, you, know, you have to consider the, the anguish of going into an early labor, all that anxiety uh, and concern about the child uh, and the welfare of the child. There's a lot that goes into uh, the harm that's caused her. And so God said, hey, we're going to leave it up to the, the husband and the judge. They get together. They determine how much the offender has to pay, and he has to pay whatever they determine. Uh, and so it, it wasn't just a set amount, sort of like the, the others with paying the medical bills and the loss of time. It was whatever the hus husband decided. Now, if the husband decided, oh, you owe me $2 million because you, you know, sent my wife in early labor, the judge can come along and say, wait a minute, that's a little excessive here. Let's take that down a bit. And, you know, maybe he should only give you 500000 or something. But, but it was by according to whatever the husband and the judge determined. You have and any questions? that's also the condition being that the wife is okay and the child is okay, right? Because right? there's a part there that says, and yet no mischief follows. Right. That's, I'm just assuming that it's a, a good birth. You know, the baby's fine, the mother's fine, but right. you caused this to happen early, so... Okay, right. Gotcha. Yes. So this this is a case where where mother and baby are fine, and that's what is meant by no mischief follow. And what it's talking about following is following the birth. So after birth, there's no trouble. Everyone's good, and so he has to pay whatever the husband and the judge determine together for him to pay. Now, if the child received an injury, if the child received permanent injury from the harm done to a pregnant woman, then the man who charged the woman was to be punished according to the injury that's received. That's what we see in Exodus 21, uh, 23 through 25. If any mischief follows, so after the birth, there's something wrong with the child. Then thou shalt give life for life. If the child is born dead, then, or if the child dies after birth, then the man who caused that harm is to die. He's a murderer because he's killed a child in the womb. And so he is a murderer. He's to be put to death. Uh, an eye for an eye, if the child is born blind, that man loses his eyes. He's to be blind. Tooth for tooth, hand for hand, so if the child is born with a withered hand, that man now loses uh, a hand. If, if something happens uh, in the birth process and the child is, is born lame, then the man loses a foot. Burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe, exactly what he has caused to happen to that child that has to happen to that man uh, as his punishment. And so this is this is by far the most emphatic statement of the law of retaliation, or what's known as lex talionis. Uh, it's the most emphatic statement of this law anywhere in the Bible. Everywhere else, God says, you know, eye for hand, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. I mean, that, at three at the most, many times it's just eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Uh, but here. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripes. God is really emphasizing, you hurt a prenatal child, that is a serious offense. And so it's it's no far from uh, what people are saying online, saying that 
this is God saying that prenatal child is not worth as much as anyone else. No, God is saying that is a more serious offense. Payment's the same. But I mean, he really emphasizes uh, the seriousness of the offense of hurting a prenatal child. And so that's what this passage is talking about. So that gives us uh, the laws for uh, personal injury. If you hurt a man, you know, two men striving together, one of them hurts the other, he is to pay for time loss, he's to pay for medical bills. If a man hurts a servant, um, if the servant dies, of course, he's, he's put to death. Uh, the servant's medical bills and all that, he's already covering, so he doesn't have to pay additional for that or for time lost. But if he causes irreparable harm to the servant, then that, that damage is, again, uh, brought against him, and then the servant goes free. And then if a woman with a child is, is hurt so that uh, she brings goes into preterm labor, then uh, the man is to pay. If everything goes well, he just pays the husband whatever the husband says would be a just payment for the harm received. If everything does not go well, then you have the same uh, lex talionis where whatever he caused in harm to that child is brought back on him. Okay, and then the New Testament application. Again, there's no direct application of this to New Testament believers saying that, that or to Gentile believers saying that we have to follow this. There, there's no indication... <coughs> Uh, in the Bible that this is a universal natural law that everyone has to follow. Uh, there's no indication that it was repeated for us as Gentile believers in the New Testament. But it does provide a perfect example of a fair personal injury law. And so if we're looking for uh, a, an example of a good personal injury law that we can follow, we can implement in our society, this is the perfect example. Because uh, if God instituted this. God does everything perfectly, so this is a perfectly fair personal injury law that any nation can follow and can apply in their legal system as well. All right, any comments or questions on it? We've got just a couple minutes. No comments. All right. Well, let's go ahead and be dismissed early. Brother Parsons, why don't you close the prayer?